0: I'm Stephanie Plant. Welcome to VotePro, the podcast where we take a deep dive into elections happening around the world and in our own backyard. This podcast is supported by Condo Voter, Canada's leading electronic voting platform for condominium elections. Check out their website at www.condovoter.com. This podcast, featuring Thad Hall, was recorded on November 27, 2018. So, welcome Mr. Hall. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on our podcast today. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. How are you doing?
0: We're good, good, good. Thanks for uh chatting with us today. Um I know you're probably very tired after that election you just had. How did it go overall?
1: It went very well. It was a very um it was a very high turnout election. Uh, we had, you know, very high interest in the election process and it was uh we had a, you know, a very good um you know, we didn't have any major problems arise with, you know, voting technology or anything like that. So it was a very good um, election overall. We were very happy with how everything turned out.
0: Perfect, perfect. So uh, before we get into those details, though, we'll go just a bit into your background. So can you just tell me a bit about yourself? You have an academic background, as I understand. Uh, can you just talk about that?
1: Sure. So I, um, I have a PhD in political science, and uh, I was actually studying how Congress makes public policy. And then um, in 2000, I was working for the uh, a think tank that ended up uh, helping to create what was then called the National Commission on Federal Election Reform, and that commission was created by President Carter and President Ford, and it became involved in evaluating the elections after 2000, and it made recommendations that resulted in the passage of the Help America Vote Act. And from that, I became involved in a variety of different academic projects uh, related to voting, including some work on internet voting, work on voting for people who are overseas, Uh, and then I've done work that was much more public relations, or I'm sorry, public opinion oriented, so focusing on uh, people's attitudes toward different types of election reforms or examining what makes people confident their vote will be counted correctly or examining people's attitudes toward different types of um, voting technologies, so especially paper ballots versus electronic voting. Um, and I've done work in that area and have also done some work on studying election management issues. Right. Um,
2: right. And that
1: obviously became very helpful as I transitioned from being an academic to working in the real world of elections where I am now in uh, Richland County, South Carolina, which is um, Columbia, which is the capital of the state.
0: Right. And, and do you miss teaching? Do you miss academic life?
1: You know, I, I actually uh, really enjoy the practical side of what I do every day, mm-hmm. and I find that very rewarding. And so I actually don't miss it too much. It's been a, it's been a great experience to be able to um, to do the applied side of what I do, and I've really enjoyed that.
0: And do you still get to, like, write papers, go to conferences, be on, like, oh, master's sure. committees and stuff like that?
1: Oh, uh, sure. So uh, I do, uh, you know, still, you know, write things, and I recently just finished a project with a colleague – uh, examining how people use the internet in politics—that uh, was a project that I had started when I was still in academia. But I, you know, I just finished that, and I'm still doing, you know, some various uh, work examining some of the applied issues that people have, um, if, that you know can be more, much more focused toward the needs of. Um, of practitioners because I find that to be very rewarding is to figure out how to actually make our democracy work better here.
0: Yeah, I was just um, going to segue into that. So, what sort of keeps you interested in the elections game? I mean, I know I find some people they just tend to burn out or they tend to move on to different things. But what kind of keeps the engine going here?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I think there's a you know a couple of you know things that are interesting to me. One is that it's just a really very interesting management issue because if you think about elections. It has a, a really interesting um, project management problem, which is that um, you have a limited set of resources. So you have a limited budget and things like that. You have a very specific deadline. You have to do everything on one day or right around mm-hmm. one day. And those are statutory have-
0: deadlines. Like there's no
1: joke with right. these
2: deadlines, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> these deadlines are, are right. They're They're in law. And... And you can't you can't mess with you can't mess with them. And the other part of it, too, is is that you have a limited amount of um, of people who know how to do the various processes you're trying to do. So, for instance, you know, when you're trying to, you know, on Election Day, you not only are running all of your polling places, but you're you know, you're processing absentee ballots during the course of the day. You're doing different kinds of activities. You have problems that arise with, you know, in polling places and you need to have really skilled people helping with the polls, but you also need those people often doing things in the office at the same time. And so it's a really interesting problem of how do you, you know, find the right people and how do you, um, you know, keep all those all those functions running, especially when, you know, you consider the fact that you really only need these people to do these jobs. Um, you know, you need it done like once, once or twice every year. So for mm-hmm. instance, um, you know, we've had two elections in 2018, we'll have one election in 2019, but then we'll have four elections in 2020 uh, because of the way the primary elections work here in South Carolina. So it'll be a very busy year. But even in that case, we need, there are certain skills that we need, but we only need them for four days.
0: Right. And so
1: figuring out, well, how do you, how do you, you know, keep relationships with people over time that will allow you to do those things? And how do you, train people and how do you bring in a new cadre of people who can do these tasks? It's a very interesting management challenge. And I've it really fascinating and it's fun to deal with. And it's also you know, interesting to see, well, you know, where can you use technology to address problems and where does technology make things worse? You know, we often <laughs> think that the solution to all problems is to just automate everything. But, you know, in some cases, more technology is actually, it's much more complicated because it requires, uh, it can often require, you know, a higher skill set.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: among people. And you need those people. You still only need those people for a limited number of days in a year. And so it kind of creates interesting issues and dilemmas. And often, you know, getting things ready for an election um, when you're doing something in a high tech way can be much more complicated. So, for instance, we use um, electronic poll books. Basically, we're using um, voter registration lists that are on a computer but to load those onto the computer and get all the computers ready when you – the fact that we have to have you know, almost 600 computers in our polling places, it's very complicated to get all those computers up, running, programmed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and ready to go. And mm-hmm. well, We don't think about – often we don't think about those kind of costs and time and effort when we think about uh, how we're going to do election reforms. We just think, oh, these reforms would be great, and they are great, but at the same time, they're often costly and time-consuming in different ways, and we don't necessarily plan for that and – Policymakers don't necessarily give local jurisdictions money to pay for these things. They don't mm-hmm. think about, Oh, well, this is also going to cost you more money. And yeah. so it creates a, it's an interesting management problem.
0: Yeah. I, I can that's, tell that you're up it, for the challenge though.
1: <laughs> well, it is, it is a fun thing to, to try to, um, you know, to try to work out and address. And, you know, actually that's a big part of what I've been doing since the election is working on a different kind of uh, project management um, tasks that we need to address between now and And, you know, basically between November 1st of 2019 and and, uh, November 15th of 2020, you know, we will run uh, five elections. And so how do we get all those five elections to work, you know, flawlessly? And that's a, you know, that's a big management challenge. And it's going to take a lot of time on our part, you know, throughout the next year to, you know, work out all those details Mm -hmm. so that when everything happens, we're ready to go.
0: Right. And I know, um, because, you know, for like, this is being obviously recorded in Canada. And so we have a very different way, the way our our elections are legislated. I was just wondering because sure. you've traveled a lot for your election mm-hmm. life, is there any sure. jurisdiction where you arrived and you went, Oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen management wise, or yeah. like, you know, is there any place you've sure. gone where you said, this is this is Shangri-La, like, this is
1: it? Right. Well, I mean I, I mean, I can tell you. So, you know, one of the things about elections that's really interesting is that, um, you know, people have elections and you often will, you know, be in a situation where you think this is really great, but you realize that it's really great because it works for the uh, country's political culture. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in Estonia, they have, uh, you know, the, they use Internet voting and it works for them in part because people are very trusting of Ah, uh, the technology that the that the state has developed there, and you know, in America, we don't have that same sort of trusting process. And you know, we have different elections. We have uh, we don't have any sort of proportional representation, which tends to make our elections. Uh, people tend to view our elections in a much more of a zero sum game. So either you win or you don't. And you know, if you're in a country with proportional representation, even if your specific candidate didn't win, well, your party may still be represented in the in the parliament. Um, and that's obviously, you know, creates different dynamics. The other thing I think that's really, um, uh, that does make me jealous when I go to other countries is just, they have really short ballots. Um, <laughs> you know, the ballots in the in America are really, really long. Um, you know, for instance, you know, even in our, uh, midterm election. So in this past election, we didn't have a us uh, Senate race or anything like that. We just, we did have, um, obviously we had, um, U.S. uh, congressional races, Um, but our ballot still was, you know, the front and the back of a of a um, of a ballot sheet. So we had probably eight uh, or so partisan races, and then we had a handful of nonpartisan races, and there was a there was a statewide constitutional amendment, and then uh, you know, in some of the parts of the county, there were school district uh, bond referenda. And Mm -hmm. so you can end up voting on quite a few things, and that just makes your ballot much more complicated. And, you know, the more complicated the ballot is, you know, it takes more time for people to vote. It requires more information for people to be able to vote. It's just a much more complicated process. And so I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm always jealous about in other countries is they just have nice, short ballots that are, you know, where they're electing one group of people to do one specific task. And it's very... That's when I get really jealous because I think why can't we why can't we have simple ballots, but you know we like to elect everybody,
0: yeah and so <laughs> yes, so on that note, so if I'm walking into a polling station in your area, what sure. what do I see like what's in front of me
1: well, so um so we have a variety of different types of polling places, you know we tend to uh, you know we're pretty lucky most of our polling places are uh, schools or uh, and the schools are closed on election day for federal elections. Uh, then we have um, community centers, and we're voting in um, you know government buildings. We do have some churches that we do voting in um, and places like that. but mostly so so the environment you know, first of all, would be a a pretty straightforward sort of um, facility, be kind of some sort of government or community facility. Um, and then you know when you walk in, we have, signage that explains to you as a voter what your voting rights are and things like that. Uh, we have sample ballots for people so they can know what's on the ballot. And then you would walk in and there would be a check-in table. And that person would ask to see your uh, photo identification. We use that identification just to verify that you are who you say you are. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then we ask you to verify your address. And after you do that, um, you know, the person is checked in. Uh, we try to, you know, we obviously work very diligently to, wish- to ensure that we're giving you the correct ballot, because as I m- mentioned before, you know, we do have um, a lot of different ballot styles. And so, for instance, you know, one polling place might have two or three different ballots. And then um, we, um, once we check you in, uh, we give you a little card. That card is used um, by us t- to make sure that we do give you the right ballot. And then we use electronic voting machines. And so the um, the voter gives that card to what we call a ballot access manager, and that access manager pulls up the correct ballot on the voting machine, explains to people what the voting process looks like, and then that person is able to, to vote right then.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's a pretty straightforward and simple process. It um, We allow uh, in South Carolina what we refer to as straight party voting, and so if you want to vote for just Democrats or just Republicans, you can do that. It's, um, it's a pretty straightforward process, and so when you select that, you're selecting all the partisans from that, from that party. Um, and we have a large percentage of our population who votes straight party. So over 60% of our voters were straight party voters. And, uh, so that's pretty much what the voting process is. And then at the end, we give you a little sticker. This is, I voted. That's oh. one of the happiest things people get. People mm-hmm. get very mad if they don't get their, I voted sticker. People, <laughs> you know, it's their, you know, if it's, you know, it makes sense though. people want to have their little, you know, bit of Swag signage that says that they participated and they did their civic duty. And Mm -hmm. so uh, and we do that. And then people, you know, are able to go back about their day. Um, We also have um, obviously a fair number of people who vote absentee Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and we let people vote um, absentee on Election Day. And then we have uh, what we refer to as in-person absentee voting. It's very similar to early voting in other states. Uh, but we call it in-person absentee voting because you still have to provide an excuse, and it technically is still early voting. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's, it's technically absentee voting. And um, and so we have a fair number of people who vote, um, you know, before Election Day as well. And so that's that's pretty much what the process looks like here and and how we do things.
0: For some reason, I find that so fascinating, what the inside of your poll. It's like looking in people's closets, right? Sure. Like what does your polling station look like? Um, right. Yeah. So um, you've done a lot of research studying the voting experience, as you just described, um, how voters interact with poll workers, voter confidence, and as uh, the voting process right. in general. So how have you applied your academic knowledge to your new position?
1: Well, you know, obviously one of the things that I did was I, um, I did – I was able to apply quite a bit of what I knew about um, poll workers uh, to our uh, the training we did for our poll workers. So I actually uh, helped to um, implement a lot of our poll worker training for this election. And that obviously was, uh, you know, allowed me to be more involved in um, applying some of the things that I knew about, you know, how to make voters feel more confident about the election process uh, so I did do that. Um, and then I was also, um, you know, I've been able to um, take a lot of the knowledge I have and just think about how we're going to apply it moving forward. Obviously, you know, this was my first election here in Richland County. And, you know, one of the things that I didn't want to do and, um, you know, in my um, our director, you know, we were both very cognizant of the fact that we wanted to just see how things went. And then uh, once we were able to work out how things went, we could think about, well, what are the changes we need to implement to make sure that everything uh, flows better for the next election? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that I've been able to identify are, you know, some things that we could be doing better, holding places to, um, you know, to improve, you know, poll worker training or poll worker confidence in the process, uh, some things that we can do to um, do some better um, planning for uh, serving our voters better. We have quite a few um, elderly voters. We're much like, you know, the rest of the country where there's a large senior population. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big things in 2020 is how do we ensure that we're best serving that senior population?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, because that's going to become a bigger and bigger issue over time as uh, America continues to, to age. You know, we're much like the rest of the world. We're a very large population of people who are 60 and older you know, by the, mid, you know, the middle part of um, 20s. And so we want to make sure that we're, you know, we're planning for that now and we're also serving that population well
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in the next election. Cause that's a, you know, that's a big issue. You know, one of the things people don't realize is that, you know, t- in today's society, if you live to be 60, the odds of you living to be 80 are really high. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and so as we, um, But as people age, they also have, you know, special kind of needs. They're much more likely to have a disability. Uh, They're more likely to need, so they need extra assistance, you know, in the voting process or uh, extra assistance in getting to the polls and things like that. And so we have to, you know, obviously be prepared for serving that population as we move forward. Mm -hmm. That's been another big thing is, you know, determining how can we use data to understand our polling places better and to address some of those issues. And we're, you know, working very diligently to do some of those things.
0: Right. And were you apprehensive going into the election with everything you knew and everything you wanted to apply? Like, were your nerves kind of getting the best of you? Or did you just kind of go with it? And, and here we go, we got to get this going and off to the races?
1: Well, I didn't think anything, you know, obviously, I didn't think anything tragic or bad was going to (laughs) happen. But at the same time, you are very nervous, in that you want to make sure that, you know, there are a lot of things, you know, one of the things I did know from my, you know, from my academic study was that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of points in an election where things can go wrong you're basically delegating you know this very important process to you know a thousand workers who are out there on election day you have no control over their polling places um, richland county is a very big county geographically mm-hmm. and so you know our polling places are everywhere literally and they're very spread apart and so if something goes wrong it's not like we can I can't, you know, we can't get there in five minutes necessarily. And we have techs out in the field, obviously, on election day. But, you know, even with having, you know, a technical staff out in the field, you still realize there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And so that part of it was very uh, nerve wracking to me. Uh, You know, the one thing that you you do realize, though, you know, in elections is is that once everything opens, okay, so once you can get past 7 a.m., that's when our polls open. You know, we became much more confident that you know, even if anything did go wrong, it would be something small that we could deal with. It wasn't going to be something catastrophic. You know, obviously, the big things you worry about, um, you know, or things happening with your ballots or your voting machines or something like that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or your, you know, your e-poll books. And, you know, if something like that doesn't work, it's obviously very troubling. And that happened in this election. And that, you know, once we knew it, you know, at 7 a.m. that all of our polling places had opened, you know that's when everything was you're able to relax and then you just deal with all the problems that people have on election day. Right. And, so, and that was really interesting too is just doing all the customer service parts of it.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, there's always there's always that aspect to it especially especially on polling day. Now do you guys have a, like a complaints mechanism or was overall voter satisfaction really high?
1: Sure. So we have um, well, we have a couple of things. So one is in our office on Election Day, people who have issues can come to our office and we address them. So the biggest problem people have is that they haven't updated their address correctly, mm-hmm. and so there's some problem with them being able to vote in their polling place. So they're going to their polling place and they're not on the the list, and that's something we can solve relatively easily. And it's a problem that we you know addressed throughout the day on Election Day. I actually was um, one of the people who. Um, helped run that part of our operation on election day. And it was really fun and interesting to do. And, um, you know, I, you know, you learn a lot about the kind of the issues that we have just countywide on elections, you know, in general though, people, you know, we do have, you know, people who contact us and, you know, elections are a very much a kind of a 95 five situation where 95% of the people are happy. Uh, 5% of people had some sort of problem. Um, and you know we we don't ever hear from the people who are happy mm-hmm. uh, we mm-hmm. just hear from the people who had something go wrong, and you know that's not surprising that's pretty par for the course for any sort of service activity where you're providing a service to people and um and so we you know we felt very good you know we did have a you know one or two things that we felt like we could have done better, but by and large, you know we were very happy with how everything turned out the um you know and the other thing you know too is that we have um because we have in person absentee voting you know we're able to address a lot of the needs that some people would have that might cause a problem on election they were able to address those earlier in the election process and so that makes things a lot easier as well you know people who are older who might have difficulty if they tried to go to the polls they're able to vote in person absentee and that makes things a lot easier for instance
0: right right and so just so I'm clear though your area is it mainly urban is it rural or is it a mix of both
1: so yeah so um so, Richland County is a really interesting county. We are um, all of the above. So, we are a county with um, we have about two hundred and seventy thousand registered voters. Our county is is urban. Obviously, we do have the state capital is here, and we have one of the largest universities in the state is here, University of South Carolina. At the same time, we have a military base that runs through our county. Um, we also so the um, the middle of the county is Richland. Um, of Richmond County is, is Columbia and Columbia is the, is the, uh, is the capital. And that part of the County is very, um, it's very urban. And it's, you know, what you'd expect from an urban County Uh, at the same time, though, if you go to the Eastern part of the County, it's very farm, uh, it's very farm centered. And so it's much more, um, you know, it's much more agricultural and rural. And then we have, you know, large swaths of the County that are very suburban and what you would expect from any kind of suburban uh, area, so we we kind of have all of the above. We're a we're a county that ha, that serves kind of serves urban and rural and military and every. We you know we have a we have a, we have everybody. Uh, we're very mixed um, ethnically as well. We have, you know, large African American populations. Uh, we have a large white population. So we we're a very um, uh, we're a very diverse county,
2: right. and that
1: makes you know obviously makes serving people. Um, you know, that much more enjoyable and that much more interesting. Right. We have to address a variety of different kind of needs that people have.
0: Thanks again to our sponsor, Condo Voter. Condo Voter brings electronic voting to the Canadian condominium market combined with an in-depth knowledge and understanding of condominium laws. Electronic voting permits each individual unit owner to vote online using a secure web-based platform eliminate the need for proxies, increase owner engagement, and avoid contested results with Condo Voter. Participate, don't delegate. Check out their website at www.condovoter.com. So if I'm, say, a poll worker and I want to do this for the first time, I want to sign up and I want to work an election for the sure. first time, and I know you've done a lot of research on this, what advice would you give, either practical or otherwise, to someone who wants to be a poll worker?
1: Sure, well, I think you know the biggest thing to remember is is that um and I think this is true everywhere it's not just true in in the United States is that uh you know one of the things that's fascinating about elections is is that the the legal landscape that makes up elections is often uh a quilt of laws that are built upon each other, but people don't necessarily they don't necessarily go back and make sure that they all fit together perfectly, and so you get you end up with these kind of very oddly colored quilts of laws and practices and responsibilities and requirements. And I think one of the things that, you know, I would recommend to anybody who's an election worker is when you go into the job, just sort of turn off that part of your brain that suggests that you need to question, why are we doing this this way? Or why do we, um, you know, why are we, you know, is this really the best way to do X or Y or Z Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to just recognize the fact that, you need to do X or y or z, and just don't overthink things. because I think that it'll very easy for people to overthink things or you know so for instance we um, you know we're required to we're we're required to look at a person's uh, identification before they vote. We want to make sure that that person is who they say they are. It's a pretty straightforward process, you know, but sometimes people will you know they'll they'll kind of overly focus on the ID and they'll say things you know to voters about well, you know just so you know your ID will expire in a month. And it's like which is it may be helpful knowledge, but it's also that's not what we're here for. We're here to just check people in to vote, and mm-hmm. so you know sometimes you know poll workers will you know fixate on certain things or you know it's just you know or they'll they'll they'll, they'll overly question, well why don't we ask about so we don't necessarily focus on and you know, we require you to show your i d for where you that you are who you are, but we don't ask, require because you live where where you sit. There. So we take that for granted. So sometimes poll workers will say, well, why don't we require ID for that as well? And the answer is, is that's not what the law requires. And so, but it sometimes stymies people. And so I think one of the important things about being a poll worker is just to, you know, be able to focus on what the law requires and what policy and procedure requires and not focus on any of all the things that in your head may not make sense.
2: Right. Because I think
1: it's really easy to look at it and think, oh, well you know, why do they do this or why do they do that? And the answer is just don't worry about it. Just do do the task that you're being asked to do and do that task, you know, as effectively as you can.
0: And at the end of the day, give yourself a pat on the back because it's a long day.
2: Exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. And we're, and we're paying you tons of money, tons of money. You know, if you want to become rich, be a poll worker. Um, <laughs> being, you know, being a poll worker is something people do because it's, you know, it helped to make your democracy work better. And, you know, I think that's something we kind of we forget about, you know, and this is true in all Western countries, you know, in countries around the world is, you know, that have democratic elections is is that those elections are you know, we've delegated to our citizenry the responsibility for making sure that our elections work.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, this is true in Canada. It's true in the U.S. It's true, you know, most everywhere. You know, we we have professional people, you know, like myself, who help manage the process. But at the end of the day, you know, we are delegating our elections to a group of people who are kind of the, you know, the most civically minded people. And if you're a civic minded person and you you know care about the democratic process, you know that's one of the things we need you to do is we need you to be involved in helping helping to run our elections because you know our democracy won't function if we don't have those people doing that task.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and um, you know, Godspeed to them because it's a long day. it's a lot of responsibility. but you know I- I'm sure you know there's a lot of people who really enjoy doing the poll worker role and kudos to them because right. they make everything function. So. Oh.
1: Well, it was it was really nice. so, for instance, you know I was um so when we did our in-person absentee voting here in our office, I was able to be a part of uh, of the team that was um, you know that was doing that every day. and um we have a process where if a person can't physically get out of their car, you know they're old or they have sort of mobility issues that will we actually bring the ballot out to their car and we'll let them vote in their car. Mm-hmm. And it's really helpful for people who are older because, you know, they often have very high mobility problems. And so, you know, I had the case where I was able to help a woman who was 101 years old <gasps> cast her ballot.
2: Wow! And that was really
1: neat. Or I, you know, and then I also had an experience where I helped a gentleman who was uh, 99 years old, who was a military veteran and, you know, he was African-American and uh, you know, it you know, it dawned on me that he you know likely couldn't have voted for many years after World War II because of you know the laws that impinged on the right on the ability of African Americans to vote at the time.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
1: so you know, it was really neat to realize that you know here, as he's older, you know, we're you know we're providing him with the best service that he could possibly imagine.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it was a really
1: neat experience to realize you know that you're part of. Of making sure that everybody can participate and you get to have that wonderful feeling of knowing that you helped enfranchise, you know, somebody who at one time in their life had had not been enfranchised and had had been unable to vote. And so those are are really nice experiences that you get to, uh, you know, think about and remember and, and they hold a lot of value to you.
0: Of course. Yeah. And, um, on that note, what would you say is probably the biggest misconception about American voting? It seems like everything about American politics these days is like, you know, kind of at 100%, but like, I know the American voting experience is actually quite lovely and local. And I was wondering if you could talk about a bit of what the biggest misconception is.
1: Sure. Well, there's a, there's a couple of misconceptions that I would point out. So one is that, um, because of the way uh, the media works, I think that you know we often have a misconception between in how people actually experience the voting process. So, for instance, you know most people, about two thirds of Americans, live in urban areas, but there's a very large, um, you know percentage of people, you know, there's about 100 million people, they live in rural areas, and most voting actually happens in very small jurisdictions. And so, you know, the issues that we often see in the news are issues that are arising in, you know, kind of large urban jurisdictions that are highly contested. And, you know, most elections are actually not happening in that, you know, many elections are not happening in that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing I would just point out is there's a lot more voting going on in kind of rural places that you've never heard of, and that where the process is much more simple and people are, you know, people know each other and it's, it's just sort of different. So that's the first thing I would point out. I think the second thing is, is that, you know, by and large, you know, voting is a very well-run process. You know, most people go in to vote. um, They're, you know, in large parts of the country, people are actually voting prior to election day. Um, They're voting in person or they're voting absentee. They're not having any kind of problem. They're going in, they're, Casting their votes, they're going home and they're watching football. Just you know, it's the fall, right? This is what people care about, and so I think that you know, by and large, you know, we tend to read stories or hear about places where there are problems or perceptions of problems, and and obviously, politicians and people have an incentive to to talk about problems because you know people don't want to admit necessarily that they lost fair and square. They want to be able to say, well, right, you know, something bad happened, and they want to be able to blame somebody. And that makes sense. At the same time, it often, you know, also also, you know, creates this perception that there are these issues with our election process that don't really exist. We, you know, by and large, have very well run elections. We very rarely have kind of any kind of major problems when there are problems. You know, it's often the case that, um, you know, the you know, it's often the case that voters have forgotten to do something or uh, or or, you know, when it's on our end, you know, it often happens. It's the case that. you know, there wasn't a piece of information transferred for like from the Department of Motor Vehicles to our office or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And people just don't understand kind of how that works. And, um, and I, and I think, you know, by and large though, you know, we have a very straightforward election process. It's pretty simple and that people, you know, should be, feel very confident in, you know, how that process works. It's run by very professional people who, you know, care a lot about making sure that everybody can participate and participate in a meaningful way.
2: Cool. Yeah.
0: Um, And so what would you say are the challenges for you and your area going forward?
1: So I think that, you know, we have a couple of challenges. One is, um, you know, as I mentioned before, I do think that the aging of our population is going to be probably one of the biggest challenges Mm -hmm. we have going forward is how do we serve that population most effectively. Um, And I think that that's something that we really haven't necessarily focused on uh, governmentally. Uh, I don't think that there's been the same amount of consideration of, the issues that may arise going forward. Um, and I think that is going to be probably one of the biggest issues that we have is just how do we serve our our aging population? How do we make sure that those people can continue to participate? You know, I think that there'll be ongoing interest and questions about how do we ensure that people who are, who are younger, who are entering in the election process can participate? And that's something that will just be going on automatically going forward. You know, so how do we make sure that people want to participate. I think that, you know, one of the other issues is just going to be given all the political rhetoric in the U S is ensuring that, you know, claims about problems or fraud or things like that don't end up undermine overall confidence in the voting process. Cause obviously, you know, by and large, our elections are a very well-run process and that, you know, we don't want to be in a situation where people's confidence is being undermined. Right. And so I think those are the key issues, you know, for me, you know as i'm thinking about the the next election is you know those issues of how do we serve our our aging voters how do we uh, ensure that people remain confident in the voting process and you know and how do we address you know issues of technology things like that obviously you know we're obviously we're always making new changes to systems and so how do we how do we address those as well you know but i feel pretty good you know i feel very good going into the 2019 2020 election cycle that you know that we're going to have a that we'll have good elections we won't have very many problems. We may be uh, actually here in South Carolina, we may be implementing some new voting technologies at that time. It's not clear what technology that will be. And so obviously, anytime you implement something new, that creates interesting and fun challenges. But I think that, that that's also an opportunity for us and for our office to uh, you know, bring in some new poll workers, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, to, to do additional training and to you know, just kind of revitalize some aspects of what we're doing. And so, you know, it's a very exciting process, you know, for 2019 and 2020.
0: Right. And and um, I don't really know too much how it works in the U.S. I know in Canada, sometimes the provincial and the federal EMBs get together and they sort of share best practices. Do you guys do that as well sure. in the U.S.?
1: Oh, sure. So they have. Um, yeah. So they have various, um, you know, meetings where various... Um, Members of different election management bodies do get together. So the state or local election officials do get together. And, you know, that's something that, you know, our office participates in. And we do that, uh, within the state of South Carolina in addition to doing it, um, you know, nationally. And that, you know, those, those, um, those experiences of sharing are obviously always very, very valuable. And they provide us with the opportunity to, you know, to learn new mm-hmm. facets of how people are doing their jobs. And, yeah, and so I think that, you know, there will be new things to learn from other people in that regard as well. I think the biggest, uh, you know, thing that people are going to be, you know, thinking about for, you know, moving forward for 2020 is, is just, you know, I think there is going to be a lot of, of interest in how do we address issues that, that arise related to, to voter confidence and how do we make sure that we're, you know, ensuring that all voters are, are confident in the process and how do we, you know, continue to make elections, you know, a, a simple process to participate in. And how do we overcome any kind of um, of barriers that people may perceive exist, you know, mm-hmm. that are that are affecting their ability to vote? So th- those are the kind of the major things that I think are that we're dealing with. But I think it's, uh, you know, it's an exciting time for elections. And, you know, I, I'm very uh, i have really in, I'm really enjoying being on the practical side of all of this. It's been very uh, it's definitely been very exciting. And, you know, I've, I'm definitely learning a lot about how that part of the world works.
0: Cool. And what is next for you personally, Professor Hall? What's on your plate? Is, are you going to Disneyland now that the election is over? Do you have any projects you want to promote? What's on your plate?
1: So, you know, the big thing for us right now is um, is we're just doing, you know, internally we're doing some projects to, to build our voter outreach for the 2020 elections. Uh, we're doing some projects related to uh, building more knowledge about what our project management needs are for, uh, you know, where are, what are the critical paths for completing certain tasks with our elections? And I think we're going to you know, be spending quite a bit of time over the next couple of months addressing those issues of of identifying some new poll workers, um, identifying the kind of staff we're going to need for 2019 and 2020, and then, you know, working to implement uh, those activities. And, um, and otherwise, you know, I think that, um, you know, I'm just, you know, very fascinated with learning more about you know the kind of our operations and you know things that we can do to make things more much more uh, effective and streamlined here. Um, so I don't have any super exciting plans mm-hmm. and I'm probably not going to Disney World. Um, <laughs> but I will tell you after the 2020 elections I am sure that I will take a very long vacation. <laughs> because, you know, like I said we're doing five va- we're doing five elections in in basically a, you know a, a year and so that will be a lot of um work is we're basically completing one task and then turning right around and, you know, doing the same thing again. And it'll be very, I'm sure it'll be very stressful and uh, I'm sure it'll be very exciting at the same time. And, you know, one of the things you learn about elections when you, when you do work on them from this direction is that, uh, you know, you, 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 you know you still care who wins, right? You know, we all have kind of attitudes and things like that. But at the same time, you know, you do have confidence in the election outcomes. And so you, you tend to view things and you think, okay, well, this is done. Let's move on. And, you know, let's get to the next project. And so um, it definitely makes things nice that way. And that you're able to kind of see things for what they are. You're able to, you know, accept them and then you just move on to the next, the next election and the next, the next task you have to get done. So I think it's going to definitely be a fun and busy two years for me.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I can, very
1: excited about that.
0: I can see you're like, you know, you're working out, getting ready for it. And, you know, once yep. <laughs> once we get there, I'll, yep. I'll, I'll reach out to you again and you can let me know how it's turn sure. on the hamster wheel.
2: <laughs>
0: um, that's,
1: that's great. You know, I'd love to talk to you again in, um, you know, after we've gotten a couple of these elections under... You know, going in 2019, 2020, and then you can ask me how I feel about all these things again, and maybe I'll have a totally different view.
0: <laughs> well, you're welcome so. to come here for 2019. We have a big federal great. election coming up um, probably about a year from now, a little less than a year from now. So, you know, you're when more it, than welcome. When will it up. be? Pardon? When will it be? Um, It should be probably early to late October 2019.
1: Well, great. Well, see, our election is in November, so that would just like nicely conflict with our election, but... <laughs> Nonetheless, it would be lovely to you know. It would be fun to go see what they're doing. You know, you all are doing.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, we have really small ballots, so you would probably really. Appreciate I know.
1: That. <laughs> I know. I love. I love me. I love. I love me. Short ballots. They're very. <laughs> <exciting>. uh,
0: <laughs> you are welcome to come, and uh, I'll show you around my riding. Uh, my riding. I, I, I think you guys call them precincts, but my riding is very. Do. Uh, urban. It does sound
1: more exciting. We call it a riding. Pardon. It does sound more exciting when you call it a writing. It
0: does. It, it's actually a British term that we had to co-opt for ourselves, but uh, my writing has uh, two universities in it. So there's always a bit of a challenge in the sense of, cause you know, the students often have their home address is not necessarily the address they're living in. So that poses oh, yeah. its own challenges, but uh, we can nerd out on we, that when you come up for the, the federal
1: election. Well, we so. have, we have five uh, universities in our, you know, in our County. And so we deal with all of that as well. So we, um, we have to explain to to young people how in person how absentee voting works, and have to explain to them the different aspects of uh, where they're going to vote and how they can participate. and It's very fascinating how that works. I and
2: know,
1: yeah. If they don't necessarily appreciate the, uh, you know, the fact that even though we have all this technology, election laws are often based on rather old sorts of concepts. Mm-hmm. You know, they're built around concepts of, you know, for instance, you know, just because we have an electronic um, you can register to vote online does not mean that, you know, everything that's involved in the election, you can just do online. Right. You know, you still have to do some things face to face or you, uh, you know, for instance, um, you know, you know, people, you know, they'll, they'll wonder, well, why can't I just change my registration today? You know, so that I can, you know, you, you guys can, you guys can just transfer it because you can see right there, I haven't voted yet and all that. And it's like, you know, we have explained to them that that's not the way the law was written and the law was written before there were, the ability to do these things, and so it's an interesting process of where you realize that people don't necessarily understand or appreciate the you know the complexities of law and the fact that law sometimes has to catch up with where everything is. Yeah. So it's a pretty process.
0: Um, speaking of which, do you have? We call them incarcerated electors. Do you have any prisons in your area? Incarceration. Do we
1: have do have. We do have prisons, and so the rule here is very simple: if you are if you are being held. Prior to your trial or you're or you're being tried at the at that time, but you have not been convicted then you can you can still vote and so we allow people who are who are in prison awaiting trial to to participate uh, if you have been convicted um you cannot vote um, oh. you would be you'd be removed from the lists and then but then once you've completed your sentence then we um, you're, you can, um, you can just come in and re, you just re-register to vote and then you can participate in the process again. Oh,
2: interesting!
1: And so, you know, I had several people that I dealt with in this election who, you know, we were able to, um, assist in getting re-registered to vote. And, you know, obviously they were very excited to be able to participate in the election again. And you know, that's how the process works. And so, yes, we, we do have that and we have, um, we have groups that we work with within the within the uh, county who help us facilitate that that voting process for uh, people who are um, who are incarcerated, you know, because obviously they have to they have to use an absentee like a an absentee voting process, and so the uh, we we work with people who help us uh, ensure that that gets that that all gets implemented. And it's a very you know it's very rewarding again for those people who you know who are helping, and uh, you know we obviously want to make sure that we're serving all of our eligible voters and those people are, are eligible voters. And so we, we do whatever we can to, to make sure that they have the same kind of voting experience that everybody else would have.
0: Cool. Cool. And I have um, one last question for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This is sure. absolutely fascinating. Um, uh-huh. If you could change one thing about the election system, so you have a magic wand and you can change whatever you want to change about the election system, what would it be?
1: Oh, I would definitely make, um, I would move. I would move election day and make it a holiday.
0: Oh, really? Oh, okay.
1: I would have us vote on a weekend, definitely. And I would make it. I would definitely make it a holiday. And um, it would be. I think that would make things a lot easier for everybody. You know, the whole process of having people vote on a Tuesday is just makes things pretty uh, difficult for a lot of people. You know, especially people who have, you know, who have children or have special needs, or you know, who are, you know, who have jobs and they have to be at work. And so, uh, you know, I think that—but um, the other thing, too, is, you know, the, one of the best places to have voting, you know, can be at schools, but, you know, schools are problematic when kids are there. And so, you know, if you had voting on a weekend, you know, it, it, makes, it makes it where you can have—you have an easier time, you know, gaining access to new facilities. You'd have better access to, um, to workers because people wouldn't be working that day. So it would just, I think, overall be a very nice aspect of the process.
0: That's a, that's a, so
1: that would be what I would do
0: uh-huh.
1: in the U.S. I would make it a holiday.
0: Oh well, you know what? Maybe one day you'll have the ear of the president, whoever that person may be, and you can implement that solution because it sounds pretty reasonable.
1: It does sound pretty reasonable, and you know, I think it'd be a, I think it'd be a, a good thing to do. And I think you know, you find that you know places that do that internationally. You know, I think that it does provide a better experience. So that's you know one of the big reasons why I would do that.
0: Cool. Thank you so much, Thad. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for the podcast, go to condovoter.com. For questions or ideas, or to get in touch with me, you can reach me at, at Special Ballot. That's S P E C I A L B A L L O T on Twitter. Until next time, I'm Stephanie Plant.